and welcome to the Ordinary Church Podcast, a discussion of God's extraordinary works through His ordinary ways. I'm Winston Weber, and today I actually have three guests with me. The first two should be familiar voices, as they were the first two guests on the show. Matthew Holbrook. Hi, Winston. And Pastor Mike. Hi, Winston. Hey, how's it going? Uh, good, welcome, good. gentlemen. And uh, thirdly, not lastly, uh, not leastly, we got uh, Pastor Andrew McNeil. How you doing, Andrew? Hey, Winston. Hey. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen. Today we have a little bit of a different format. Not only do we have three guests instead of the usual one, but we also will be talking about an event that just took place a couple weeks ago. For those of you who don't know or who were unable to attend, Grace Church of Orange hosts an event called Grace Bible Institute, or GBI for short. It's a seminar-style event that aims to take seminary-level training on a particular subject and basically condense it down into a single night. But as it often happens, we try to tackle these big subjects, and we who are in the audience often have additional questions. They can't be answered on a single night, nor in a 30-minute Q&A, and so that's where this show comes in. We have a bunch of unanswered questions that we simply couldn't get to, uh, and we, we wanted to answer them. And since this is a podcast about the church, it seems appropriate that the last GBI was focused on the local church. So... Gentlemen, this is our extended Q&A, and so we're excited that you guys are here to answer our unanswered questions. So let's just dive right in. I got my first question here, and it's actually addressed specifically to Matthew. Matthew, can you elaborate on what you meant when you said that being part of a church is essential to living a life worthy of the gospel? Yeah, I'm actually thankful for the question because I think it's uh, this is a really important part of what we were wanting to communicate at GBI. I think where the question is aiming at is what I was saying regarding Philippians chapter 1, verse 27. Uh, that verse says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that's what we're talking about, is a manner of life worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. And so here we have Paul laying out his expectation or his, his call for living a life worthy of the gospel. Worthy here just means uh, appropriate for the gospel, that we're living in a way that's appropriate for the gospel. And the, the, the outline he kind of gives that he's calling for people to stand firm with one spirit. This is a picture of multiple people being united together in spirit. And with one mind, multiple people coming together in with one mind, even though they all have multiple minds, they're so centered on God's word together, it's as if they have one mind. And then striving side by side or striving together for the gospel is something, that, again, you do with somebody else. So all of these factors about how we live worthy require doing that in community, doing that with with other believers. And, and uh, the way the New Testament describes that overall is in the context of a local church. And so... Just based on this verse and, and, and overwhelming uh, verses throughout the New Testament, we can't live a life appropriate for the gospel apart from a community of believers in the local church, and so um, that is required. One last quick note on this that I was trying to make the other night is that this idea of striving side by side for the gospel and um, striving together for the gospel, that's a, that's a, there's an outward focusedness of this, that we're, we're working together to proclaim the gospel, but there's also Im implied in this an internal focus in that we should be, of all people in the world, able to have disagreements and still have unity. We should be able to strive together to understand the gospel and God's word together and to do that in healthy, God-honoring ways. 
And, uh, and so that would be my encouragement that as we come together as believers and we see differences in Scripture, we shouldn't go apart from each other. We should come together and dive into Scripture and be able to have the freedom to have healthy um, conversations, even over things that we might have disagreements about. You know, I would double down on that, actually, and say that a person cannot be a healthy, regenerated, born-again, real believer and not be a part of a local biblical church that's led by a plurality of elders, preaching the word, administering the ordinances, practicing church discipline, and especially in light of what Paul says to Timothy in 1 Timothy 3.15. Basically, if I delay, that you might know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and support of the truth. All right, uh, second question. Why do we have both members and regular attenders? What's the difference? Well, look, (laughs) we're talking specifically about Grace Church of Orange here, right? Yeah. Okay, so we have people who are, are members of the church. They've gone through a process that we have. It's not in the Bible. It's just we have freedom to come up with a process, and they've filled out an application. They've shared their testimony, their gifts, ministry experiences, and so on, and some of their background and what have you, and then they've actually come and met with elders, and they talk about these things and, and more. They get to know each other, and so they've decided officially to link up with this local assembly. Uh, we have a position paper on our website, as you guys know, of well, why we believe church membership is a biblical model. But I would say this, I'd say we also have people that are not officially members of Grace Church that are more members than those who, than some who are officially members. And what I mean by that is they're more committed, they're more regular, they're more aligned. We have both members and regular attenders, and we want people to be members of the church, but that doesn't mean just, hey, I'm a member, I'm going to go on and just do whatever I want. But there's there's an actual commitment, and it's there's accountability. There's it's an accountability and ownership. Accountability, ownership, it's mutual accountability. There's give and take. And a lot of regular attenders are doing the same and, and really are, are living the same as a member would, and they just maybe haven't gone through that process. I guess that begs the question then, why, why have membership then? I mean, I think, I think ultimately what, what membership does is point to, to, as best we can, showing a delineation between the church and the world. The church is called to be distinct from the world, and the church is called to, to live, like Matthew was talking about, worthy of the gospel. And so membership, we want to avoid it being some in-crowd or, or super-Christian club or anything like that. The idea is for the elders to know who, who are we responsible for before God, to care for, to pray for, um, to encourage, to exhort, and, and then for people also to to make that affirmation that I, I'm a part of this body and I want to love the people here. I want to carry out the one another commands in the New Testament. Um, and so it, by having that definition of who these people are, it really is just a practical way to allow us to do what the Bible calls us to do. All right. Our next question involves missions. And since we have our pastor who oversees missions with us, I think this would be a good question for you, Andrew. The question is, how can I be more involved in missions or in church planting if I don't feel called to go myself? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and I'm sort of going to, to hack off the, the narrower part as it applies to both. You, you could talk about missions and then specifically they bring up church planting. And since our church has been sort of focused on, on some church planting revitalizations recently, we'll, we'll focus on that one. 
So yeah, a lot of people, you'd probably say most people uh, in our church would say, I, I don't necessarily think I'm called to go, but I want to I participate in some way. And so uh, just a few things off the top of my head. There, there's many, many, many ways, but just a few. And the first one is, is simple, and you, you probably know this already, but pray. We overlook that and we jump to other things, but uh, God's power and, and God works through his people praying and asking him to act. So pray for Grace Rancho, pray for Cherry Valley, pray for other uh, church plants and revitalizations as you hear of them. And also another way is, is just knowing. Uh, be on the lookout for information. Ask if you're not hearing updates. Get Michael and Taylor Shares email address and email them and ask them how it's going and how you can pray for them. Also, just talking about it within your own family. Talk to your kids about what's going on out there. Talk to them about you know what, how we get to participate in in God's mission as we send out church planners. You can uh, go visit those churches, go encourage them in person, write to them, use your gifts and talents. Maybe you have I don't know web design skills or some skill like that that you can offer to those those churches, and then just keep your eyes out, eyes uh, open and your ears open, and as opportunities arise, fill those needs for them, pray for them, and. Uh, who knows? Leave that door open. Maybe maybe one day you will be called to go. Great. Thank you so much. Matthew? A recommendation um, would be a, uh, there's a book by Randy Alcorn called The Treasure Principle, and he bases uh, that book on the concept that of uh, Jesus saying, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also, and talks about how to put your treasure in places like missions so that your heart follows. And um, I believe that as you do that, God will direct your heart into ways that you can be involved um, that he would be leading you in. And so uh, I, I just highly recommend that book, The Treasure Principle by Randy Alcorn. It's a short, easy read. Good read. And I'd also say that everyone is called to do what believers are called to do, but not every believer is called to the same specific mm-hmm. time-bound outworking of what believers are called to do. So you might feel like you're not called to go do this. And in, in a couple of years, God might give you a huge desire to go do church planning. And I would just say to that person, bloom where you're planted, love Jesus the most, do whatever you want. And if you're loving Jesus the most, you're going to do what pleases him. Uh, don't put pressure on yourself and don't be lazy. You know, live with that tension. All right, let's move on to our fourth question here. It says, why don't churches send missionaries directly out of their local churches? What is the biblical place for parachurch missions organizations? I think there's a great place for it, but I would also say some churches actually do directly send missionaries out from the local church. And so it's really a hodgepodge nowadays. You've got a lot of different organizations, a lot of different churches doing different things in missions. Um, You need biblical counsel. You want biblical accountability, responsibility. Uh, You want a sending church or a sending agency to be theologically um, aligned with, with the local church. Uh, committed to the well-being of the missionary. You want to know you're with a solid organization with solid teams, and there is a place for parachurch organizations or missions agencies. Uh, Some of them are wonderful. Some of them aren't so wonderful. Some of them we're more aligned with. Some of them we're less aligned with, uh, not just theologically, but sometimes methodologically. And when um, when we talk about parachurch, that prefix para on there is is alongside the church and that's exactly the role that they are to play is alongside the church not in place of the church uh, but alongside and so ultimately it's the church that sends missionaries there are no missionaries sent from parachurch organizations uh in in the biblical sense and so um when if 
if a parachurch organization is replacing a church, that then you've got some issues. But um, we've seen a lot of wonderful examples where churches are sending missionaries, and then these organizations come alongside to help with the logistical side and, and other things. So uh, it can be a really beautiful mix. I think it's important to emphasize that the New Testament stresses all ministry stems from, flows out of the local church. That doesn't mean that that is the only place that ministry happens. In fact, it's very clear that ministry happens in other places, but the heartbeat of ministry starts and flows from the local church. And so to the extent that there's any ministry taking place in a parachurch organization, it is, uh, if, if done biblically, it is done in conjunction with and in support of the local church and in no way is competing with the local church. And uh, I think it's really, really important that we keep those those distinctions. The parachurch organization functions to serve and to support the local church, uh, not the other way around. And uh, ministry has to flow from the local church, and that includes sending out of missionaries. And if parachurch organizations can help with that, that's fantastic. All right, let's move on. This is our, uh, looks like, fifth question already. We are blazing. Oh, we're not blazing through these at all, are we? <laughs> Let's try to... We'll just go. We'll just go. It's fine. How can I determine my spiritual gifts so I can serve the body with them? I think we can answer this one relatively directly and briefly in saying that I think this is the kind of question that oftentimes is overcomplicated, um, and it comes back to delight in the Lord, find your joy in the Lord, pursue Christ above all else, and do whatever you want to do. And if you don't know what you want to do, just do different things and find where you have joy in serving and just keep doing that. And if you can't find it, be relentless in pursuing that and just keep trying um, and looking for opportunities to find where you can have joy in service. And when you find that, you found your spiritual gifting. Well, I was talking to somebody the other day and maybe you guys can uh, rebuke me on this, but I was talking with somebody the other day and they were mentioning that, you know, oh, I, I'd like to do X or X ministry, yada, yada, but we just don't offer it. And so then start and go for it. Do it. Then. Like, yeah, if it's not immoral or illegal, <laughs> go for it. Yeah, exactly. Um, all right, let's move on. We got our sixth question here. And can I just say one more thing on that to that person? Of course. It, part of what what the role of, of pastors and elders is to equip the saints for works of ministry. So when someone in the body comes and says, I have this idea for ministry, I, I feel a responsibility that if it fits in, in what we're doing as a church and, and everything like that, I, I'm here to say, you go and, and I'll help you, I'll equip you, I'll give you the, you know, what you need to make that happen, whether that's um, teaching or encouragement or walking alongside you, but um, that, that is exciting for us. All right, so we got an interesting one here. This is our sixth question, if you can believe it. It says, how would you counsel a single person wanting to get married? Is it advisable to attend a midweek group at another gospel-centered local church? I think what's advisable is be committed to and involved in a specific local church. Within that context, I think that there is potentially room for um, participation in other types of events or ministries in other churches, um, as long as it doesn't in any way encroach upon or dilute your uh, commitment to and involvement in a particular local church. Um, there is a sense in which we are to do life together, and, and we don't want to be splitting life between multiple families, but there's still room for that as long as it doesn't intrude on the primary family. One thing I'd say to, to that person, that single person, if you're that single person wanting to get married, some people go looking too hard for their spouse. 
And some think they're just going to be airlifted to them directly from God, you know. <laughs> and Solomon said something interesting. Song of Solomon 8.4, do not awaken love until it pleases. Mm-hmm. And Elizabeth Elliott spoke of something like being asleep in the will of God, kind of waiting for God to bring you your spouse. And there's a balance in that. But I just say be wise, common theme, love Jesus more than anything. Um, you know, immerse yourself in the word, prayer, be kind to people, be yourself, do whatever you want as long as it's, you know, legal and moral. Um, but just, well, if you're, I told somebody one time, I was like, if you believe that God is sovereign and you believe that God is good and you believe that you want a spouse, do you think God will act correctly, rightly, justly? That includes searching for a spouse. Right. And what's embedded in that question though, is that single person wants to get married. So they go to the midweek group at another gospel center, local church in order to meet their spouse (laughs) so they can get married to them. And well, and I know people. Who have done that, and it has worked for them. But I just say that's your if that's your motivation. I'm not sure if that's your first line of uh, you know offense here. And bringing it back to the the primary topic, the role of the local church. This is what the church exists for to provide you counsel and. Um, and, and wisdom in addressing these kinds of questions in life. And so we shouldn't be afraid to engage with those kinds of questions with leadership in church or with people that you would respect within the body that can help guide you uh, through how to pursue these in, in wise and biblical ways. Excellent. What do you think of campus churches or video churches? That's the question we got here. What do you think of campus churches or video churches? They are not bad things in and of themselves, but I don't know. Often, I've seen a lot of both of these, and they're good ones and there's bad ones, but sometimes campus pastors are no more than community organizers. They're not really shepherds of the flock of preaching the word, and I am not a fan of video churches. Um, I've always thought there is some elder qualified man in that room with a Bible who wants to get up and preach. Why does your face need to be on the big screen? And the answer you get is, well, expediency, you know, quality control, and they now they can focus on doing other things. If a church is not first and foremost focused on live preaching, I think they've already taken two steps away from what is a local church supposed to be doing. Ah, I dropped fire on that one, sorry. <laughs> I kind of feel strongly about that one. I don't know. Can I, can I say something else? Why don't you let that guy with a Bible who's elder qualified preach? You know, why does your face need to be on the big screen? Are, are you the best teacher in the world that everyone needs to hear from you? Um, and again, argue from expediency if you want, um, say that you have quality control, but you know, I just, I think it flies in the face of the goal of biblical preaching, uh, that there's a real person who knows real people who's opened up the real word of God and reading it, explaining it, applying it into their lives. And, and that person knows them and is shepherding them. Well, I'm going to attach an addendum, an addendum, I can't speak, an addendum to this question, uh, if I may. What would you say to the person who says, oh, yeah, you know, I go to a church. It's a YouTube church. You know, I I load up on Sunday mornings. They live stream their services in, and that's how I worship. What would you say to that person? I think what's important is is keeping in mind the definition of a local church. A local church is a community of believers who come together to be united in spirit with one mind, striving together for the gospel under the leadership and shepherding of uh, recognized elders and even deacons and deaconesses. And so any environment that shortcuts or uh, eliminates any of that component is uh, changing the definition of a church. And so uh, if you are watching a video, you're not engaging with other believers, striving together for the gospel, you're not being united in spirit, you don't need sermons and, and so forth, 
the, the fundamental question is, are people being shepherded? And shepherding does require relationship. And so uh, what does that look like? Is it possible for people to be shepherded by campus pastors and campus elders and with video preaching and so forth? Sure. Um, yeah, that can happen. And uh, so then you're, you're, you're considering uh, what, is, what is best, what is the ideal, is that happening? But really what we want to focus on is there has to be relationships there has to be shepherding, there has to be accountability, there has to be submission, and, and all those things have to happen in, in the context of the local church for it to be a, a, a biblical church. What if a church is off on a few minor points? Does that cause to leave? The fundamental issue here is, is the church committed to Scripture? Is the church all in in saying this is the word of God and we're willing to do whatever it takes to get that right and to submit to what God's word says. If there are, if there are minor points of disagreement, but there is room for struggling together through what the word says, then there can be a place where you say, okay, there's, there's some minor disagreements, but these are not fundamental to the gospel or to the mission of the church or to living an obedient life in Christ. Um, then I think that there's room to continue to work through and to to strive together to understand God's word and to hear His voice in His word in that way. And so I would I would say yeah, there's room for that. But the moment that you move from the place where Scripture is the ultimate authority and people's opinions are taking the place of Scripture, which that can happen without you even realizing it sometimes, then those minor points, as minor as they might be, if they're being replaced by human opinion, now we have a, a bigger problem. Yeah, and I think it really does. I might be parsing the question, you know, too tightly, but if the if you think the church is off, you know, off base, off base from scripture on a few minor points, those minor points might not be so minor. So, agree with what Matthew said totally. It really depends on what does it mean for the church to be off on a few minor points. If it's just agree to disagree things, those aren't going to be major. But you could be off on some minor points that are major. Well, what I think we need to have clarity about is is that conversation is imperative where there is disagreement right. or you or or the perception that something is off um, and that conversation has to center on submission to what god's word says if you arrive in your mind at a conclusion that the church is off but never talk to anybody in leadership about that and don't have that interaction you are sitting as judge of ultimate truth and removing God's ordained, structured functionality for the church to be able to provide that input and discussion um, to, to work out what is often what is accurate. Yeah, and here's another thing that all goes back to the authority of Scripture. Someone may be attending Grace Church of Orange who may align with a movement that is relatively recent. Okay, The historic Christian church has not aligned with that biblical teaching or that teaching that isn't yeah. tethered strongly to the Bible, it isn't anchored in the Word and a, and a solid exegetical treatment of the Word. Someone may be attending grace and align with a movement that is relatively recent and say that we're off. But what they're doing is in, indicting the entire church from the book of Acts onward and saying, really, the Bible is off. And so they're making a choice there. And again, it goes back to the authority of Scripture. And are we going to bow before God and His Word? Excellent. Alrighty, guys, let's, we're going to speed through these next ones. We, we want to get to all of them, so let, let's just tackle them as quickly as we can go. So, the early church seemed to be together almost every day. Are we missing something? Should we gather more often? No, we're not missing something. Uh, can churches miss something? 
Yes. Um, what the early church had and what every true church uh, has is close fellowship, uh, unity around the gospel and around the truth, uh, love for one another, and regular gathering. And so if we have those things, uh, we are doing what God has called us to do. They met daily early on, day by day, often. Uh, Book of Acts is descriptive, not prescriptive, but Christians should be meeting regularly. We have to remember that. And we could meet more often than we do, but if it takes us out of the world, that's going to be an issue because we come together to hear the word and to worship together and then to scatter for witness. And so there's a balance there. Again, this comes back to all ministry flows out of the local church. And the local church is the, 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 the fountain from which everything we do in the world flows. And so I, I, I do think that there is oftentimes amongst Christians a, uh, a perception that I go to church on Sunday mornings and I check off that box and I've done my duty as a Christian. And that is a complete misunderstanding of the church. So to the extent that we are involved in each other's lives and have deep relationships and accountability and submission and all the things that make church church, I don't know that there is a measurement of frequency to do that, but there should be regular interaction and not just an attendance once a week at a church service. Perfect. Uh, This next one is actually probably something that we're going to do a full podcast on, but I'd still like to just wet our appetite a little bit here. It says, should the church be involved in social justice issues? If the answer is no, why? If yes, in what ways and what would that look like? I think it depends on how you define social justice. Uh, we, th- we need to acknowledge there's a fundamental misunderstanding of justice today, and we live in a time when it's confused with other things. And so before we really dive into that, I'd just say justice, by definition and application, has undergone a metamorphosis. And we hear terms like social justice or reproductive justice and other things. And, you know, it's about distribution of wealth or opportunities or social privileges, righting the wrongs of the past. And, and we sometimes attempt to do that and correct injustices. We are often unjust in the process, and any attempts at equality can be leading to inequality. So I think we have to be working really hard to understand what justice is, true justice, God's justice, biblical justice. And I think, yes, regenerated folks need to be the best citizens of their earthly cities, and we should make a gospel redemptive difference everywhere we are in every sector of society. I'm going to leave it there because, like I said, we're going we're gonna to dive into a bigger one there. We're going to get that one fully fleshed out, I promise, I promise. Can I make one thing on that? You have to. I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> I, was a, I was a glory hog on that one. I took the shot and should have been assist. Go for it. In Matthew 16, Jesus says that he will build his church. And there is an extent to which we need to keep coming back to the simple reality of what the church is. And that is we come together as a community to pursue Jesus with everything in us and let him build out of that the desires in our hearts to pursue whatever ministry, influence, cultural change that he would lead us to do as we come together to pursue Jesus. All right, believe it or not, we are to our last question. Uh, This is a good question because I think it sets up our our good outro here. Can we do a QA and a session a couple times a year? Mike? I think it's a great idea. And I think anytime you get a bunch of believers together with their Bibles, grappling with issues searching the scriptures, coming up with biblical answers, that's a good thing. So, absolutely. Cool. Well, that is going to wrap it up for our Ordinary Church podcast. Uh, Part of what we're going to do with all those Q&A things, 
we want to hear your questions. And so if you'd like to contact us, ask a question, you can email us at ordinarychurch at gmail.com. So please send us your questions and we will try to get to them on air. We hope you will join us next week for Ordinary Church. Talk to you later.